The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coronavirus is sweeping the globe. And so live from the self-quarantine studios, this is Verdict with Ted Cruz. Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles and Senator... I have to ask, as somebody who spent a lot of time with you at CPAC, how are you feeling? You know, I'm, I'm feeling great. Thank you for asking. How, how are you feeling, Michael? <laughs> I'm, well, I'm feeling good and I'm feeling better now that I know that it would appear that you have not uh, suffered any consequences as a result of exposure to coronavirus. Well, I, I think that's right. But, but let me tell you what, what happened and how it came for, for me to be alone in my living room right now. Uh, Saturday night, so three days ago, uh, I got a call from the organizers of CPAC. And uh, they, they called and said at CPAC, there was an individual who had since gotten sick uh, and tested positive for coronavirus. And, and they asked him, who did you interact with while you were at CPAC? And he mentioned one senator, me. Um, and, and so the CPAC organizers described this to me and I remembered, I, I saw this gentleman backstage outside the green room and, and we said hello and I shook his hand. Uh, the whole interaction was probably less than, than 60 seconds. It was just good to see you shook his hand. We, we may have taken a selfie, uh, and that was it. So anyway, CPAC tells me, well, this individual unfortunately is now sick and he's tested positive. So I sat down and made a whole series of phone calls, and I, I reached out to health professionals, reached out to CDC, reached out 
the Health and Human Services, reached out to the health director of the city of Houston and of Harris County, uh, and, and asked all of them, all right, what, what should I do? What is the proper conduct in this circumstance? Uh, what the doctors told me is, is that given the, the very brief interaction, that, that it was less than a minute, number one, and, and number two, given that it had been at the time nine days since, since I'd seen him, and I had and, and have today no symptoms, I, f- I feel fine, I feel great, uh, they said the chances that I had contracted the, the, the virus were very, very low. Uh, and in fact, they said I did not meet the CDC criteria for self-quarantine. That being said, as I thought about it, uh, I, I decided the right thing for me to do uh, was to self-quarantine nonetheless, that just given, given the nature of the job, that, that, that representing 28 million people in Texas, I am out, I'm seeing people, I am engaging in people, engaging with people frequently, that, that it made sense to be prudent. And, and so I stayed home that evening and, and since that time have stayed at my house, uh, self-quarantining for 14 days from the point of the incident, but I am feeling great and, 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 and healthy and strong. Well, that's good because I think people want to hear, you know, your personal experience. You know, you're one of the main people we've seen in the public eye who self-quarantined. And I think there are two narratives emerging. On the one hand, we're being told that this is no worse than the flu. It's not a big deal. Everybody's overreacting. On the other hand, we're being told this is going to crash the global economy and we're all going to die. Uh, from your perspective, talking to experts, uh, which narrative is closer to the truth? Listen, I, I think both of those extremes are wrong. Uh, th- this is a serious public health threat, and, and we should treat it seriously. Uh, it, it, the, the numbers are alarming. Uh, since it began to spread, we've had over 116,000 cases worldwide. Uh, we've had over 4,000 deaths worldwide. The, 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 those numbers are, are very alarming. What we know about the coronavirus is, is, is that it is quite infectious uh, and, and, and that its, its mortality rate uh, appears to be substantially higher than the flu. And, and in particular, the, the, the population that is, is most vulnerable uh, to coronavirus are older people, and particularly older people who have other significant health issues. That, that's why, for example, in Washington state, we saw a number, a concentrated number of deaths uh, because a retirement home or retirement community, right. one person became infected and, and it spread in a very vulnerable community. I think we need to take those threats seriously. I, I, and, 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 and I do think we're seeing local health authorities, state health authorities, and federal health authorities taking it seriously because we've got an epidemic and an epidemic that's dangerous. Well, I want to know how seriously they're taking it because we saw in Italy that certain regions became quarantined. Now the whole country of Italy is quarantined. Do, do you think there's a chance that we could see those kind of measures here in the United States? I, I think it is certainly possible. Uh, we don't know right now about the scope of the spread, but, but if you look at the numbers, so, so, so this virus originated, as we know, in, in China, in the Wuhan province. Uh, there are now over 80,000 reported and confirmed cases of the virus in China alone. We're seeing numbers spread. You know, I was looking at some, some of the numbers this morning that, that, that the United States, as of this morning, there were 761 cases. But we saw just this afternoon an additional 51 confirmed cases in the state of Massachusetts. Not only that, if we look at today's numbers just from Italy, Italy is, is the country with the second worst concentration of it after China. 
Just today, we had reported 977 new cases and 168 new deaths. I mean, that, that is troubling. And, and, and if we see those numbers grow, uh, th- th- then I think we will see, we've already seen events being canceled. I think in particular, nobody should be surprised to see large events that have people coming internationally to see those being canceled. We've seen a number of, number of them canceled already, things like South by Southwest here in Texas. Uh, and, and, and I think that, that there's, a, there's a good likelihood of that going forward. But if the numbers spread, uh, if you look at what they've done in Italy, they, they, they've got the entire country basically under lockdown. They've canceled sporting events. They've shut down public, public gatherings because they're trying to con- contain the spread of it. And I think as the facts merit it, we should respond accordingly. But it seems to me the wrong way to approach this is, is, is from the perspective of politics politics is from rhetoric and, and right. you, you see both sides trying to jockey for, for advantage that, that we ought to be calm and sober minded and we ought to be driven by the facts. We ought to be driven by the science and we ought to be listening to the medical professionals. Well, Senator, I know that you don't want to approach this from a political angle, which means you probably didn't watch MSNBC's coverage here because you just used an absolutely forbidden phrase. You pointed out that the virus originated in Wuhan, which uh, left-wing commentators have been saying is now racist to observe the origins of the virus. Your take. Well, I, I, I think th- th- there are times when the media becomes self-parodying, and that, that's a great <laughs> example of it. Right. Uh, one of the reasons that, that, that this virus spread so rapidly and, and, and has been so difficult to contain is that early on, the communist government in China did not want to be public about it. And so, that, so they held quiet. They suppressed information. Look, we know that the communist government of China has a long history of lying, that, 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 that they're not to be trusted to begin with. So the, the stats I gave you, of, of, of 80,000 confirmed cases of the virus and deaths in China, over 3,000 3, deaths in China, that's based on what the, what the communist government right. is telling us. Those numbers yeah. could be much, much worse. And, and, and their longstanding policy of state propaganda, I, I, I think, substantially contributed to the spread of this virus. I, I will say I think the president of the Trump administration, perhaps the most important decision that was made early at the outset of this outbreak was to shut off commercial air travel to and from China, to shut off both air travel and for Americans coming home to quarantine them and have screening. I think that 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 was an unprecedented step. And and just over a week ago, I chaired a hearing on the Senate listening to expert testimony from the CDC and and from Health and Human Services and from Border, Border and Customs Patrol all of the the expert witnesses testified that the fact that we stopped air travel to China played a significant role slowing down the virus. It didn't stop it, but it slowed it down. And it may be one of the reasons why countries like Italy and Iran have have a much higher level of of infection right now, because they were not not as quick to stop air travel. That being said, it it is now in the United States. It it is spreading in the United States, and we've got to treat it seriously. It It is a it is a virus that is contagious and, and, and is dangerous. Well, you bring up the deception of the Chinese government. And I think that's what a lot of people are wondering about now would be 
good to get your own insider perspective from Washington. Some people are saying this was just a bad case of bat soup, that people ate something they shouldn't have eaten and that's how it spread. Others have pointed to this strange coincidence that there is a virus testing laboratory in Wuhan. Do, do we have any sense of the, the true origins of the virus? Well, we don't know for sure. Um, I've asked medical experts and they've said based on, on the sequencing of the genomes, it does not appear to be artificially created, that it appears to be a virus that, that has occurred in nature. Uh, hmm. You're right that a lot of people have focused on the Wuhan uh, Virology Institute that, that is located right there. And, and indeed, they've got researchers there that are, that are studying coronavirus and studying bats. I mean, that 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 raises some obvious questions. Uh, at, at the same time, it's it's very interesting. Do you remember back uh, last fall when when the Houston Rockets, when Daryl Morey, the general manager, tweeted out about Hong Kong? He said, "Stand with Hong Kong, stand for liberty." Right. And and the NBA went crazy, and China right. went crazy, and and the NBA apologized profusely. <laughs> I, I have to admit, it's kind of the same thing that anyone suggests. Well, well, gosh, you know, there are. <laughs> Thousands, hundreds of thousands of cities all across the world. It just so happens this outbreak is there right where this virology lab is. And the collective media acts with this outrage of, okay, take your, take your tin hat off. How dare you even ask that question? Uh, you know, it, 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 it's obviously a question that people are going to inquire. Look, the first step needs to be stopping this, this virus, stopping the disease and protecting human life right now. But, but there are certainly going to be questions following up if, if there is any connection or not. Um, and, and that seems at least a reasonable question to ask. What are the odds that this has an effect on the 2020 election? And I don't mean just one candidate is going to do better than another candidate. Uh, some people have written into the show to ask if there's a chance that if this really becomes a pandemic, everyone's quarantined, that they could even delay or postpone the election. I, you know, that, that would strike me as an extreme circumstance. I don't see that as terribly likely. Uh, but I do think it is clearly an epidemic right now, a pandemic. In fact, one of the questions I asked the experts at the beginning, I said, all right, what's the difference between an epidemic and pandemic? I didn't know the difference. They, they, they said a pandemic is essentially where you have an epidemic in multiple geographic regions and multiple countries. Mm -hmm. This may well qualify as a pandemic now. You certainly have outbreaks, not just in China now, but in over 100 countries worldwide. And so, so the, the breadth of it is, is significant. Um, you know, it is unfortunate seeing some partisans who, who want to use this for political purposes. So, so they want to they blame it all on, on President Trump. And, and we get, they don't like Donald Trump. That, that's not lost on anybody. Right. But, but at the same time, I mean, he, he wasn't serving bat soup in, in the Wuhan <laughs> province. I, I, I mean, it, good it, you know, putting all of this, blaming all of this on Donald Trump is, is a little absurd. And you can see the media trying to turn it politically. They want it to be the equivalent of Katrina. And, you know, President Bush, the way he handled Katrina, it, it was not, he got a lot of criticism, a lot of blame for how he responded to Katrina. The media is gleeful to, to, to see see the president stumble and how he's handled it. I, I do think at the outset, as I said, the decision to halt air traffic was the right decision. And I'll tell you, the, President Trump called me, I think it was two days after he made that decision. And, and he, he asked, he said, said, what did you think? Did I, did I do the right thing? I said, Mr. President, I think you did exactly the right thing. 
There, there, there are serious economic repercussions. And this was early. This was right when the outbreak had been reported that we stopped air traffic. And so it, there was some risk to the decision that the administration made, the president made. But I said, look, our, our first priority has to be protecting human lives and safety. And, 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 and I think this is a, a, a common sense precaution. That, that, that proved right. Um, you also see some in the media that, that, that seem to be rooting for an economic collapse. So, so we, we've seen, look, it's been a wild week in the stock market. We've seen stocks plummet. It has not helped that we've also got an oil price war breaking out at the same time. Both of those are, are having pretty negative impacts on the economy. This, I, I think it is fair to expect that, that the coronavirus outbreak is, is going to impact people's lives. It's going to restrict it's going to restrict what they do, and, and, and it may well have a real impact on the economy. That, that doesn't mean we're, we're headed into the Great Depression. I mean, there, yeah. there, there are some that are eager to, 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 to hold up signs saying the end is nigh, uh, but, but it is a real public health crisis, and, and it needs to be treated accordingly. And it would seem to qualify as a pandemic. I like your definition because the question I had initially was, is this a pandemic or a dem panic? You know, are the media just trying to blow this out of proportion? And it would seem to be somewhere in the middle of those two things. Uh, is there a risk? I mean, now you've self-quarantined. Uh, members of the House of Representatives have self-quarantined. The people most at risk here are older Americans in their 70s. I think the median age of the U.S. Senate is somewhere around 150. You know, it tends to skew a little bit older. Is there a chance that we could see a, a suspension of some of the services of our government if people get too nervous that the virus is going to spread? Look, I, I think essential and critical government services will continue, but we've got to make sure that our first responders have safety equipment. I've spoken this week with the mayor of Houston. I've spoken with the mayor several times. I've spoken with the governor of Texas. One of the real focuses that I'm trying to assist on is making sure first responders get protective gear uh, if this escalates. Um, I think all of us also need to listen to the professionals. We need to listen to the CDC, listen to the health professionals. So what are they telling us? Uh, number one, they're telling seniors, if you can, stay home. Um, I can tell you, I've called both my parents, my mom and my dad, and, and they're, they're 81 and 85, and I've said, look, just, just stay home. Just, just, just for the time being, you don't need to go out on the town. You don't, you don't need to. I, I'd actually told my mom that, that I wasn't going to come see her this weekend, even before I knew I'd contacted someone with the virus, because at 85, my mom's a two-time cancer survivor. I, I'd just rather she stay in her apartment with the door closed. And, and that's not forever, but, but it is at least for a period of time. So I think that is good advice. I've advised people in my family, particularly if they're seniors and they have health issues, if you can stay home, you should stay home. Beyond that, the advice people are giving, wash your hands, wash your hands frequently. Interestingly enough, the health professionals are saying soap and water is more effective than hand sanitizer. Um, and, and, you know, we're seeing more people just shaking hands instead of that bumping elbows. And, and, and I think that, the, 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 that is, that is a, a wise precaution. Um, if you're sick, stay home. Look, if you've got, if you're coughing, if you're sick, you might be inclined to just motor through and go to work. I think now is a very good time if you're sick, stay home. So all of us should listen to the health professionals, should listen to the CDC. For example, health professionals are advising older Americans, if you can, stay home. Uh, that, that's what I've told my parents. Uh, both my mom and my dad, I've advised them, stay home. 
my dad's 81, my mom is 85. In fact, I, I had told my mother, even before I'd found out that I had encountered someone who tested positive, I told my mom, you know, I'm just not going to come by and see you this weekend because she's, she's 85 years old. She's a two-time cancer survivor. And, and, and I said, look, it's just better just stay in the apartment. And if you need groceries, call and have them delivered. But, but just, and this is not forever. This is just for a period of time while there's a serious public health risk. That's what I'm advising people in my family. If you can stay home, uh, particularly if you're in a vulnerable population, you probably should. Uh, beyond that, you should follow common sense steps of wash your hands, use soap and water. Uh, they say soap and water is much more effective against this virus than, than, than is a hand sanitizer. Uh, don't shake hands, just, just bump elbows instead. Um, <laughs> if, if you cough, cough, well, they say cough into your elbow, then the bu bumping elbows, see, I mean, that's, that's where, <laughs> right. look, you just have to use common sense. Um, and <laughs> if you're sick, stay home. You know, you might be inclined to just power through and go to work anyway. Well, don't. If you wake up and you have a cough, just stay home and, and, and listen to the doctors. Uh, that's uh, good advice for all of us to take. I think I'm going to ignore the whole elbow thing. I'm just going to bow like I'm uh, Japanese or something. No touching. I don't want any contact with anybody. <laughs> what I want to know, though, is what can we look for the government to be doing? You know, I wasn't that how Obama treated foreign leaders? <laughs> that's true. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to do that kind of bow. I definitely uh, sort of mutual respect would be good. Uh, you know, in the coming weeks and months, if this really does continue to grow, obviously we're all going to keep washing our hands. Hopefully people will stay home from big events. Uh, there are several proposals out for the government to intervene, both for public health and for the economy. What are some of the, those proposals that we can look down the line? Do you think they're feasible? Uh, and how soon do you think we could see them? Well, I think it's been interesting in the last few days seeing congressional Democrats, their proposal to this crisis is past the entire agenda that they wanted to pass before the crisis began. So they're saying, well, the only response to this is wage controls and price controls and socialism and, 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 and what they call Medicare for all, which is socialized medicine. Look, I, I don't think people ought to use this as an excuse to fight broader political battles. We should keep the public policy response targeted on, on actually where the problem is. That, that means we ought to be focusing on number one. We just passed $8.3 billion in emergency funding for things like first responders, for things like screening for things like additional resources for testing. I think all of that makes sense. I think we need to put more into protective gear. When I visited with the governor of Texas uh, just a couple of days ago, that was one of his biggest concerns was making sure that, that state and local officials had protective gear. I, I think looking at removing regulatory barriers to developing a vaccine or developing treatment protocols for coronavirus, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I've got legislation that I've introduced uh, for several Congresses called the Results Act that, that removes the barriers to new pharmaceuticals and medical devices getting, getting a, approved. And what it says is, if another major developed country, like, like an EU or, 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 or like a Canada, uh, approves a, a pharmaceutical or a medical device, that the FDA has 30 days to approve it here. It, it, it accelerates it. I think particularly in the context of the coronavirus, that makes sense. We ought to maximize the incentives for medical research and innovation to, number one, prevent the spread of this disease, and number two, to, to help people who, who do contract the virus to, to protect their, their, their lives and safety.
Right. Well, while uh, all of our listeners are self-quarantining themselves, they've sent in a few questions. And so in our last you know, minute or two that we've got here, uh, let's see if we can run through them. We've got one from Stop Anime. I guess that's a Twitter account. Stop Anime asks, there seems to be some potential that Ted Cruz gave Nigel Farage coronavirus. How is Ted doing slash what action is he taking? And have you told Nigel? Thanks. Well, I, I appreciate that question. Actually, the odds of that are, are zero because I did the Nigel Farage uh, interview before we went to CPAC. Right. Uh, and so I saw Nigel the day before, before I encountered the individual with the virus. Now, look, that being said, Nigel, like me, like, like a lot of people in public life, encounters a lot of people. And, and yep. when you have a virus that is an epidemic that is spreading, all of us have some risk of contacting it. But the person that I, I, I saw Nigel the day before I went to CPAC. You know, Nigel got out of our studios just in time, much like Great Britain got out of the European Union just in time. So that guy, really impeccable on his timing. Uh, we've got a question about uh, your colleague, Senator Chuck Schumer. Uh, this is from James. James points out that Senator Schumer the other day at a rally outside of the Supreme Court seemed to threaten Justices Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. Yeah. He said, quote, I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you've released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You will not know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Uh, James wants to know if this violates any law and if there will be any consequences that he'll face. Well, I, I certainly hope so. And, and what Chuck Schumer did, it, it was disgraceful. It was wrong. Uh, he stood in front of the court and, and he really crossed a line where he was, he was threatening and he was trying to intimidate Supreme Court justices to affect the outcome of a case. And, and he threatened at a minimum political retribution, but, but there was more than a tinge of, of, of violence in the words he used. And, and, and those threats are not something that should be taken lightly. We li live in an era where we saw a, a crazed leftist madman open fire at Republican congressmen at, at, at baseball practice because that madman wanted to kill specifically Republican congressmen. We've seen judges targeted for violence. So when you have Chuck Schumer calling for the whirlwind to, to be unleashed and to target these justices, it really crossed a line. And, and I've joined with a number of other senators in, in, in a resolution to censure Chuck Schumer. I think the Senate should act formally to censure him and to say this is not acceptable. You can have political arguments, but trying to intimidate and threaten justices, that, that really crosses the line. Uh, Senator, before we go here, I just have to know, because I've been getting a lot of messages asking about you, asking about what it was like being backstage at CPAC and interacting with these people. Could you just describe the moment when you get the call that, that you had interacted with someone who had been infected with coronavirus? Well, sure. So, so I was at home and, and I was, Heidi and I were getting dressed. We were getting ready to head out the door because it was Saturday evening and, and we had an event, a campaign fundraiser that we had scheduled uh, oh, at no. the Eagles concert. Uh, the, the Eagles were in concert in Houston. I'm a big Eagles fan. Oh, and yeah. so, so I had, I had suggested it. I'd suggested it months earlier. I said, Hey, wouldn't it be great to do a fundraiser at the concert? People will want to come and they'll want to want to support the campaign. And so we had a suite full of friends of ours who, who had come and contributed oh, and were no. at the concert. And Heidi is, is like fully dressed up and dressed up to the nines and coming down the stairs. And, and I'm like, well, sweetheart, I, I think we're not going to go. And she's like, what do you mean we're not going to go? I mean, she was, she was less than thrilled with that news. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had to call our friends who were already there. So we were late because I'm sitting there on the phone 
trying to talk through what to do with this. And our friends are at the concert. It's getting ready to start. And one of them just put it on speakerphone. And there was a group of them there. I said, look, I, this, this may sound like a very strange thing, but, but Heidi and I are not going to come join you because, because we're staying home because I just got a call that, that I interacted with someone who tested positive. And so I think the wise thing to do is, is just stay home and, and not expose you guys. So, so, so I missed the Eagles concert, much to my great annoyance, but I did put on Hotel California at home and we listened to it in our living room. That's almost the same thing. I got to tell you, Senator, you're much responsible than I am. If, if I had gotten that phone call, I would have called my friends and said, listen, guys, I'm not missing the box suite. You're all going to get the woo flu. I don't care. Come at your own peril. But what you did is the more responsible thing. Michael, I'll tell you this. If I, I have no musical talent whatsoever, but if I could play one song <laughs> on the piano, it would be Desperado. And, and Heidi is a wonderful yeah. piano player. And, and periodically she'll play in the evenings and, and I'll often ask her to play Desperado for me. And it's just, it's, it's, it's a beautiful, powerful song. Well, you might have some time in your self-quarantine to learn it. And then hopefully we'll get you back to Washington <laughs> soon so that we can do this in person and we can shut down our self-quarantine studios. I, I can do... That's about it. Well, everybody's got to start somewhere, I suppose. And you also have to end somewhere, too. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but we will be back again soon. I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.